Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, episode number three. What does it take to achieve the biggest goals in your life or to overcome the biggest challenges? In this episode, one of the world's greatest long distance runners, Olympic medalist and American record holder, Dina Castor, is going to share her secret to unlocking your full potential. Listen in because it could change the course of your life. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. In today's episode, I am so excited to talk with Dina Castor. If you're a runner, you already know that Dina is a superstar. She has earned countless honors. She holds eight current U.S. records in many events. She's an eight-time cross-country national champion, and she won the bronze medal for the Women's Marathon in the 2004 Olympics in Athens, which was America's first Olympic medal in the marathon in 20 years. Dina has also broken the ribbon on some of the world's most prestigious marathons, including the Chicago Marathon, which she won in 2005, and the London Marathon, which she won in 2006. Welcome, Dina Castor. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. I look forward to chatting with you today. Well, I am so excited to have this opportunity to to meet you. Your list of accomplishments as an athlete is incredible. And beyond that, throughout your journey, you've discovered a lot about yourself, about getting through the difficult times and unlocking your full potential. And these days, you're sharing those lessons as a motivational speaker and as a New York Times bestselling author. Your book, Let Your Mind Run, a memoir of thinking mind. My way to victory. Dina, I loved it. I just found it so inspiring uh, for both runners and non-runners alike. I Thank guess, you. I, go I, ahead. I just wanted to say that the aspects of success, whether you're, a, you're an athlete or a, or a professional in, in any field, is, is pretty much the same. You need grit and persistence, but the more important qualities of, of resilience and, um, and being able to, to bounce back from, from disappointments are, are probably the most important governors of success or contributors to success. Winning is great, but the defeats are really where you grow the most as a, as a person. Absolutely. And we, I want to talk to you about that today. So what has running taught you about yourself and what's possible? I think running taught me that I have more control than I ever b- believed um, imaginable, that I thought I was the victim of negativity or, or fear when I stepped on the starting line, fear of, fear of losing, and, instead of focusing on the winning. And, um, and I, think, I think being able to shift some of those thoughts in my mind was the single greatest contributor to getting on a path of continued growth. And, um, and I feel very grateful for that, grateful for, for the coaching that I've had along the way, the mentors I've had along the way who encouraged me to, to read and expand and, uh, and really take control over my destiny. And, um, and I feel that, um, that having that open mind, knowing that having just that crack in the door that, um, that there could be better on the other side um, was, a, was a great learning lesson. Your husband, Andrew, has been your, your coach. Uh, you have a daughter, I think, 10. Is that right? She's eight, eight years old. She's yep. eight years old, named Piper. Um, and you don't seem to be slowing down a bit. In March of this year, you broke the American Masters record in the 8K when you ran Chicago Shamrock Shuffle. 
So you are still a very active runner. While many of us are struggling to get our 10,000 steps in a day, how much do you run on a normal day? Oh my gosh, 10,000 steps is still great, um, especially if you ran 9,999 the day before, um, <laughs> so you, you, beat your, you beat your record. Um, I, I guess I just found a, a career that I, I not only enjoy, it doesn't feel like a sport that I would ever retire from because it's how I flex my positivity every day. I show up, and I might be slower than I was a decade ago, but it's still on a daily basis. Um, as I get out there and put in a 10-mile run, I am also really working on my on my mind. When I start to fatigue, I sh- I, I look for those tools that I've that I've um, built over the years to try to get through that fatigue, so that I can stop when I'm intended to stop and not stopping early. So I I feel like I'm flexing myself physically, but more importantly, flexing that that um, positivity muscle within me that I don't ever want to atrophy. So slowing down is actually okay to me, but um, but gaining negativity isn't. So running is the vehicle for being able to to stay on top of that because if I'm practicing that on in my career when I'm out there on the roads training in the mornings, if I'm practicing it then, then it becomes more habit to be able to rely on positivity when things get challenging in my personal life. And so I think it's important to, to know that our choices matter, not just give up on give up on a moment because it gets hard, but know that you're defining your character and, and your decision making really matters. And so I tend to hold myself accountable when I start to slip or go to plan B or C a little too early. Um, sometimes it's necessary, but I, I make it about my character, and that's really important to me as a, as a mom, as a, as a wife, and as someone in my, in my community, whether it's the running community or my immediate community here in Mammoth Lakes, California. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm um, representing myself the best I can. Well, in the book, you talked about how you started running at a very young age, and And because of sheer talent alone, success was really fairly easy for you. Those successes continued through high school and at the University of Arkansas, but then those voices in your head started telling you that you couldn't sustain that kind of success, that that your best wasn't good enough, that maybe you're just not that talented. And I think we've all heard those voices before. When we face any big challenge, self-doubt becomes one of our biggest opponents. Absolutely, and I have a lot of tools to combat self-doubt, um, and I can certainly speak to those, but I'll first speak to um, to labeling. When we label children or prodigies, or even adults for that matter, as talented or smart, then if you get a B on a test, you, you lose your identity because you feel you're no longer smart. Or if you lose a race, you feel like you're no longer talented. So I like to use words like driven or committed, and, uh, and that tends to create a an action in people as opposed to just feeling like they were born with born with a talent they have no control over. So I had a hard relationship with talent and I feel grateful in the most part for writing this book because it allowed me to have some resolutions about about what it was and, and how I moved away from from being talented to being hardworking and resilient and gritty. Um, 
And so it was it was an important it was an important process to go through. And as a parent now, I make sure I don't tell my daughter how talented and smart she is. I say, Wow, thank you for sitting back down to the piano after being frustrated because you showed that you can sit down take a deep breath and sit down and recommit. And so kind of kind of um, praising those ideas instead of instead of labeling a, um, somebody as, as talented or smart. And among other things we can label people as. That's good. In your book, you also wrote a, a lot about the wisdom of Olympic distance coach Joe Vigil. When you met him, one of the first things he asked you was, what is your philosophy? Do you remember that story? That was such a heavy moment. I was like, what? I just came here to run a philosophy. Like, I felt like I needed to pay more attention in philosophy class in, in college instead of writing notes to my friends at the time. Um, but it, it, it did make me think about the purpose behind what I was doing instead of just picking a goal of winning a race and, and, and charging towards it. It was, it was for a bigger purpose, and it took me a while to, to figure it out, and it's also evolved over the years. But I, but I ended up writing this book because of the philosophy he helped shape in me. Through his own example, he taught me that the, the money we have in our pocket, the food we have on our table, the knowledge we have through, through our careers, that we obtain through our careers, and that the value of it increases immensely the moment we share it with others. So it became very important to me to take some of these great truths that the sport has taught me over the years and put it in this book to share with others. It seemed the easiest way to, to share it concisely with, with other people because our passions and our drive for anything that we do, it takes the, the, a strong mindset and a resilient mindset to, to be able to get through the challenging parts because anytime we're trying to break barriers or, um, or get some promotion in our job, a lot of us quit too soon at aspiring um, to those peaks and pinnacles in our careers. And so this, this shaping of our mindset should help us get us there with a little more ease and grace. I had to scratch my way through it, so I'm hoping people can learn through, through my misguided path and be able to, to, um, to get to their pinnacles in an easier, uh, more graceful way. Yeah, and I think when he, he had, had talked to you about that, he, you, your first answer was, my philosophy is I want to make the Olympic team, but then he said, no, that's, that's a goal. And, you know, yes, I think he had an expletive in there, <laughs> uh, an in there, as, as any um, brash coach, coach would. But yes, the difference between goals and having a deeper purpose behind what we're doing, because it is easy to give up on your goals. I've done it a million times where in the struggle of a race that I want to win, I'm like, you know what? This hurts. Third place is good enough. It's still a podium. Mm. And I think when we have a deeper purpose behind what we're trying to accomplish, there's a little more um, emotion behind what we're doing and we tend to we tend to, to push through the more challenging times so let's talk about some of the tools uh, one of the tools that that you use to battle what Zig Ziglar I think used to call stinking thinking was the power yeah. of positive mantras for example during the 2005 Chicago Marathon which you won you kept repeating to yourself define yourself define yourself how does that work yes and I think um, on the surface define yourself doesn't it sounds like you're just trying to, to, to flex a muscle and, and be egotistical but um, but the, the, the emotion behind it for me is that 
that I was trying to define myself on the international stage, but I also wanted to define myself as strong and determined. And um, and so I think when we're when it's when it becomes more about my character and less about a prize, I tend to get a lot more out of myself. And so defining myself was was um, was showing character to my coach who had who had dedicated so many years to to building me as an athlete to my husband who was so so disciplined and motivated right alongside with me stretching me out before every practice and drawing an ice baths after practices and going to massage school and giving me massages every day um, he was so committed to my to my career I feel really grateful and so it was a way to to define myself in a way that I could give back to them generously so how can can just normal people how can the the listeners um, use these positive mantras in in different situations yeah there um, I think anytime we stop and pay attention to our thinking that's the most important step I I thought I was a pretty upbeat person until I started really looking at the um, at the the words going through my head I might have been positive and upbeat for everybody else but to myself I treated myself like trash mm. um, in the closed doors of my brain and sometimes even with the intention of being motivating my tone was really condescending in my head so just stopping to pay attention and then in those moments where you sound whiny or condescending to, to really uh, step back and reshape it in a way that can empower you a little bit more because we we are all uh, born a little a little different in our in our in our thinking some more positive some more negative but we shape that over over our lives we shape it more we ingrain those patterns deeper and deeper and so our brains are are malleable and so it's important to step back and pay attention and shape your brain the way that you that you need it to to be there for you and i think one of the most powerful lessons everything that i practiced over the years um, that everybody can do. It seems very cheesy on the surface. Um, it seems superficial is writing a gratitude list. And I think at first it seemed very benign, like, oh, I like cold lemonade on a hot, on a hot day after a long run. I like rocking on the front porch when my dog is running around. I like extra hot cappuccinos that scald as I, as I, as I sip on them. And, um, but as the days went on and I still had to keep adding unique, um, items to this gratitude list, I realized that, um, that it was such a powerful exercise in that I went about my day searching for things to put on my gratitude list instead of, instead of begrudging the, um, the lack of um, parking spots close mm-hmm. to the door at the grocery store or, um, or the woodpecker on the side of the house. Uh, they kind of just became background noise as I was, as I was searching for things to, to be grateful for on that day, things that I appreciated. And so gratitude lists is something that everybody can do, but the power of continuing them is, is where it can really shape and reshape your mind. That's great. And I want to talk more about the, the gratitude uh, list in, in just a second. wanted to ask you about a time that you felt a lot of disappointment in, in yourself. You had just run a 6K, I think, at Stanford. But Coach Vigil stopped you and showed you that disappointment wasn't necessarily a bad thing. 
Do you remember that? Right. I remember it so clearly. It was one of the most, I would say, pivotal, pivotal moments in my career. You'd think it would be some, some beautiful win on a, on a grand stage, but, um, but for me, that was, that was probably the moment that has kept me in the sport the longest and searching for greater ways to, to think through a, a process in a more productive way. I was training under Coach Hill for quite a number of months and felt like I, he had built me so strong. And it was really the first time, because I thought my talent was working for me before, it was really the first time I wasn't running on talent, I was running on confidence. And I towed that line so confident that I was ready to make my first international team as a professional. And within the 30 minutes of that race, I went from confident to absolutely crushed. I think I was 27th place or something, and I expected to get in the top five. And I held my composure until I got to my hotel room and then just bawled into the rough fabric of the hotel towel, the overbleached hotel towel. (laughs) And my family came in and they talked about how I shouldn't be disappointed, I should be so proud of myself, I did so amazingly well, it's my first, my first national championship, I should feel so proud, and pride did not feel right at the time. It mm. just felt so far removed from, from what I was feeling until Coach Vigil came to the room and said he was glad I was disappointed. And my first response was kind of this shocking, like, what a jerk. And then he went on to explain himself that being disappointed didn't mean I was a failure and, and, and that I failed in my attempt to, to run well. Being disappointed meant that I cared and I wanted more out of myself. I expected more out of myself. So on Monday, let's get back into our training shoes and continue working. He also went on to say Rome wasn't built in a day, but I don't think the cliche would have worked as much as, as hearing the fact that some of our harder emotions that we feel, whether it's anxiety or stress or disappointment, um, Um, frustration that we can be hijacked by them because they feel like negative emotions but if we step back and really look at the root of them they're usually because we care an awful lot about what we're doing and I was able to use that same tactic um, grieving over a a dog that I had lost Mm -hmm. my chocolate lab Aspen after 14 years I was pregnant with Piper and and she passed away and the grief felt like physically debilitating. I thought for sure I was messing up my child well before I even mm-hmm. had her into the world. And I ended up um, realizing, much like disappointment, that grief was rooted in a deep, deep love. And the, the heavier and more painful the grief is probably uh, equal to the, to the love with, with which uh, I, I shared those 15 years with her. So it made me put it back into a good emotion of that, of that love and shared time as opposed to the pain of the grief. So, so running has taught me, I think it's important when we go through these moments to make it related to our whole lives because we don't just operate in a microcosm of one day. We should use all of the all of the events of our lives as springboards for us to, to grow. That's so great. A marathon is such a great analogy for life in general, which is one reason your book is so applicable to everyone, I think. Um, you know, even if you never plan to run a marathon, you can equate the challenges of a marathon to nearly any major challenge that you face 
And as you said in your book, whether you want to run faster, nail a job interview, improve your health, or simply have more energy and enjoy life more, uh, you, you prepare yourself by trying to set the pace and then you try to avoid the obstacles that you know are going to be there a part of the way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the obstacles really are, I, th- I really feel, I truly believe, and I have to remind myself of this from time and time again when I start to panic in a moment of, of challenge or adversity, that, wait a second, pause right here because this after this moment when you get through this moment you're going to be stronger than you've ever been before stronger smarter or um whatever whatever it is that it's going to take to get over over that hurdle or Mm -hmm. around that challenge and that makes me embrace it more and the um instead of the oh no that happens immediately i'm like oh wait this is this is the part i love (laughs) this is the game of it all this is the game of growing is it's figuring out how i get how i get through this with with strength determination resilience whatever it takes to get through find what it takes and you will have grown because of this and so i i i tend to feel a little um bored when things are are too easy <laughs> i've grown <laughs> bored by it so bring on bring on a challenge <laughs> well and the other side of that though is that you're not going to win every race right you're you're going that to is. you're not going to be successful at every challenge that you take but you talk in the book about how you can control how you respond to some of those things. So like it was in 2008 uh, in a marathon, you broke your foot. And yes. in the World Cross Country Championship in Portugal, you got stung in the back of your throat. You blacked yes. out and you fell. And yet you finished 12th place. And that was a, an 8K race. Another one that just popped into my head was the more recent Tokyo Marathon. You said it was probably the, the most difficult marathon you ever ran. How do you take those kind of moments and turn them into learning opportunities? Absolutely. And it takes practice. It doesn't just, it doesn't just happen because you want it to. It's, it takes practice and, um, and, and also being open to, to learning and growing and not just feeling like the victim of a really bad moment. Um, that it's, it is an opportunity to grow, but you need to you need to be open to that that growth first and foremost. Um, I, one of so the Tokyo Marathon that just happened, I actually got shoved and knocked down twice in the race, and mm. it wasn't until three weeks after the race when most of my body was healed and didn't feel as banged up. My shoulder was still in intense pain. I couldn't put clothes on comfortably or reach for my favorite coffee mug if my husband put it in the cupboard too high. So I went to the chiropractor and it turned out my shoulder had been de- dislocated. Mm. So I finished 15 kilometers of the of the race with a dislocated shoulder. But I re- feel that way whether I won the race or I felt very short of, of reaching my goal. If I know I've, I've put it all out there, I I know that I can be proud. And I guess I'd use an analogy of a student who wants to be valedictorian of their class and they sit in the front row and ask questions when they don't understand and they uh, get a tutor when they outsmart their parents and they they make sure all their homework is done before going to the mall with their friends and on the final exam they miss a question and someone beats them to the valedictorian chair. They were a far better student having that goal than just settling for getting through school um, that semester. So, um, so I always remind myself of that, that if I'm 
putting in the work and I'm making the choices to be the best I can day in and day out, then I'm going to be proud of that outcome no matter what happens because I can't control what other people are, how their preparation is. So if I know I was my best day in and day out and on that race day, then I can pat myself on the back and, and celebrate heavily with my family that evening. That's great. Okay, so let's get really practical here. The power of positivity. Let's talk about how we can start to build those positivity muscles. Um, Some people are naturally inclined to have a positive outlook and others, it's it's as much a learned skill, it is a personality trait, isn't that right? Absolutely, absolutely. So it, it just starts with instilling confidence in yourself. And I think if we have a goal of becoming the CFO of the company we work for, or we have a goal of completing our first 5K, that first, I, first and foremost, I would write down a few reasons why I believe I should succeed, because I think automatically we'd think of all the challenges in front of us and how likely it is that we're going to fail at what we're attempting to do. So just jumping in and and disrupting that right off the bat and just instilling confidence by, by writing reasons why you should succeed in that, in that goal. That's good. Okay. And the second one, and this is in your book, you put together the optimist guide, seven mental habits for reaching your potential and living a more positive life. The second one in there that was building belief. How do you do that? I think building belief comes with um, comes with being that encourager in yourself. That let's say pretend that it was your friend that just told you about this big big goal that that you have for yourself, and and let them know all the the ways that they're gonna that they're gonna succeed in doing it. So I think it takes steps. You have to you know be realistic. Like is this gonna take two years or is this gonna take a decade to do? And um, and so kind of um, make a roadmap of how to get there, and then and then with the support of why you believe you're going to succeed in it. There's going to be challenges along the way, but when you get challenged by something, counter it with with something more positive. Sometimes it's just reframing your words, and other times it's, um, it's again, stepping back and being the friend to yourself of, you know what, this is hard, and you might be having a meltdown right now, but, but, but tomorrow you're going to wake up, and it's going to be a fresh start, and you're going to be recharged, and we're going to go out and try again. And Dina, also you had talked about writing down your goals as statements in the present tense, those positive affirmations. Do you remember that? Yes, positive affirmations. And I think um, the beauty, a positive affirmation on the the surface looks like you're super arrogant. I am a national champion. I am CEO of this company. Um, And it seems really arrogant. But I think when you start telling yourself that you are a higher being, than you are in the given moment, your body actually creates, and this was so fascinating to me, to, for me to learn at a, at a young age, because I was going through this at the time that positivity um, was becoming a science, and they were studying the power of, of positive thinking, positive psychology. So it was fun to have these experiments on myself and then have it backed by, by science uh, a few years later. But there, there is a, a chemical change in your body, a neurological change in your body when you are speaking in a different way. And that's, that is the whole premise of self-fulfilling prophecies. So if we're going to lie to ourselves, we might as well lie to ourselves in a really positive way mm. so that we're, we 
become bigger and stronger as opposed to negative thinking that would make us weaken and become um, become less of the person that we're aspiring to become. That's terrific. Another one that you talked about is reducing negativity and growing positivity. Uh, paying attention to your thinking patterns when, when you start experiencing negative thoughts and turning them into positive ones. You talked about that a little bit, but can you give us some examples? I think one that seems to seems to resonate so much with me living in a in a hilly environment in the mountains of, of Central California, and I hear it from my teammates all the time, is hating hills. And I say to them, gosh, you let this hill get you before we even stepped foot on it by saying you hated this hill. But mm. what about this hill is making me stronger every time I climb it? And, um, and then you're giving power to yourself instead of giving power to the hill. So it's, it's those little things. And it, again, it all starts with paying attention to, to how, we're, how we're talking. So then you add those quick bursts of joy in your life throughout the day. Before you go into a meeting or something like that, you can look at a photo of your kids or just be encouraging to someone or call your spouse or your partner for that midday smile, right? Yes, or, or, or do a quick Google search to get, a, to get a good quote in your head. And I've done this with my daughter when she was looking in the mirror one day before school and said she hated her hair. I said, oh, really? Well, tell me three things you like about yourself. And that was a little harder to do, but I would not let her off of her stool in her bathroom until she gave me three, three things she liked about herself, just to bring her back to neutral after her negative comments. So, um, so I try to keep it positive here in the house as, as well as in my own head. The positive affirmations that I write, I would write them on lipstick on my hotel mirror. <laughs> uh, for if it was a race, a race uh, coming up, like my my goal or a positive affirmation, I am the national champion. I've also used post-it notes to do that, but I also do that for my daughter, writing on her mirror when. Um, when we first remodeled our, our house, we've lived in the same house for 18 years and we remodeled it a couple of summers ago. And I wrote before we got the mirror put up in the bathroom, trust me, you look fabulous. <laughs> Gotten in the habit of, of writing on her mirror also, just fun, fun positive things because I know that's, what she, that's where she goes before she gets out the door to go to the third grade. She puts on her sunscreen in, in front of the mirror, so I want to make sure that I'm giving her some positive messaging before she gets out the door. Another one that you talked about was be analytical to identify your bad habits. Ask yourself why and look for a solution. Talk about that. I, I think um, it seems strange in a, in, a, in a practice of positivity to, to focus on, on bad, but I think in some, some instances it can let us off the hook once we identify them, and some, some instances we're finding solutions to, to our bad habits. So for, um, for, let's say, we like to hit the snooze button in the morning instead of getting out the door to get in, um, go to the gym and get our exercise in, we're pushing snooze because bed feels so good and then we feel down on ourselves the whole rest of the day because we started the day that way and we, we that was the only time we had to, to get out and, and do something for ourselves the next day let's make it a little easier so I'm going to put my shoes next to the bed I'm going to make this whole process super easy it, it would come to sleeping in my running shoes to do it I would do that but making the process easy because sometimes if there's if it, there's too many steps to get out the door we tend not to do it so 
um, we don't want to put that much effort into it. So if I know that my alarm goes off in the morning and that coffee pot alarm has already gone on and my coffee is brewed in the kitchen and my shoes are right at the foot of the bed, I'm going to slide into those shoes, grab my cup of coffee, and then get out the door. That's great. Okay, so another one, rebounding. What do you think about yeah. crying? What do you think about punching the sky? When you, on those days when you're so angry, I, we've all had them. In, in what, what's going to what's going to get me out of this funk? Do I need to listen to an upbeat song on the radio? Do I need to mm. do I need to put fresh flowers on the on the kitchen table so that um, so that I have a burst of, of sunshine in the house? Do I do I need to to call a friend, go have a cup of coffee, and and just just um, just connect with somebody. So just identifying um, what's going on and finding a way to treat yourself with kindness. We could we can be in a really bad place and still be kind to ourselves. And um, and in doing so, it usually usually brings me out of that. Looking back at your amazing career, Dina, what would you say has been the biggest reward of running? you? Oh, I, I undoubtedly would say um, knowing that I had control over my mind, that my mind wasn't driving me, I was driving my mind, and I feel so grateful for being able to, to shape to shape my mentality to be able to, to work with me when I, need it, when I need it the most. And it seems like because of that practice of positivity, even in silly situations um, like, like running, um, that it is readily available some real serious crisis is going on in my life and I feel really grateful for for the practice and uh, and the privilege of, of knowing how much control we actually have over our lives who inspires you Oh my gosh, I I actually practice gaining inspiration every day from um, from the internet to social media. If it is something negative on social media, I scroll right past it. I'm looking for inspiration. I read books. I um, I connect with people on a daily basis. There's a lot of well, every single one of my friends in in the community we live in inspires me with um, with what they do every day. The amount of work they put in and finding time for their families. I love the, the I love when I see balance in someone's life, and even love when I see someone's life off balance because they're throwing themselves into into it one passion or another. Um, so I get inspired by so many people around me. The biggest influence in my entire life um, has been my parents and Coach V Hill. My I was I was adopted at at birth, and I feel very fortunate, and really feel that my first lesson in positivity came from them, because the reality of being adopted is that you were given up by one family and and by another, and I have felt chosen my entire life. Oh, that's so great. So feel grateful for them for that, and Coach Veal just for being an endless an endless um, influence in um, in a very critical time in my life when I was choosing a career after college. To be able to, to be in the hands of someone who's completely shaped the person I am today, I feel very grateful for him. And of yeah, all, he's turning 90 this November, oh, wow. November 2019. Oh, that's terrific. So of yeah. all the things that you've accomplished, what are you most proudest of in your life? I would definitely say family. I, I, I'm grateful for my career for shaping who I am so I can provide for my family in, in a spirited, emotional way. But I think um, I am, it's allowed me to be a super committed and hands-on mom and allowed me to really pour a lot into my relationship um, with my husband. 
so that the value of those two relationships are the are the the most influential to me. What is next for Dina Castor? Wow. Uh, well, I am. I've always said this is we're coming into the fall season. Whether it's spring or fall, it seems to always be marathon season. So, um, traveling to the World Marathon Majors as a guest of the Chicago Marathon and New York City Marathon. I'll be at the Monumental Marathon in Indianapolis, and um, for the first time ever, I was asked to officiate a wedding. Um, so that is a new role for me. It's a running couple in Minnesota. I'll be officiating their wedding this this fall. How so awesome. there's always adventure, and the running community changes all the time. And there's new new people emerging onto the running scene. And to me, it is such a wonderful privilege to be able to connect with them at the the races. It's um, it's what I live for and what I travel for. We should never underestimate the power of positivity and gratitude in our lives, and Dina Castor's life and success as a runner bears testament to that. Dina, thank you for being on the podcast. This podcast is produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. At HPE, we want you to have the knowledge, support, and resources you need to reach your full potential and find joy in every moment. If you're an HPE employee or a family member, links to HPE's resources can be found on the Global Wellness page on HPE Insider, or if you're in the U.S., HPE Wellness. Our thanks once again to Dina Castor, and thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you can catch upcoming episodes. Let's talk again soon.